most of you know that I, I am a baseball player. Well, not so much now, but I was a baseball player. Um, I was, my favorite team, of course, is the Dodgers, but I was very happy when the Diamondbacks um, went for the pennant, but they, they lost. But I was happy that the Astros won, uh, Astros, the um, Rangers won, because of Nolan Ryan. Growing up, he was my idol. And um, I just ran across something that said, Nolan Ryan, seven um, hitters that Nolan Ryan struck out had sons that had the pleasure of getting struck out by Nolan Ryan. He was so, so long as a pitcher, just an amazing pitcher. Um, but I got the coach over here at the high school when it was open, and I was the type of coach that drove my team nuts because I made them, before they could actually start playing the game, I made them have to go through drills that worked on the very small things. Like, if you're going to catch a ball, right, you need to know how to use your mitt, so I would say you can't use your mitt until you learn how to catch a ball. And that might, you might go, well, that doesn't make any sense. So what I would have them do is I would have them get down on one knee and they would, like in kindergarten, just roll the ball back to each other. Because they had to learn how to watch the ball and how to let the ball come to them instead of going after the ball. Once they learned that, they could graduate to standing up still without a mitt. And they had to do that. Now, not hard, but nice and easy. And then eventually they graduated to a mitt. And it was the same thing with a bat. They couldn't use a bat until they learned how to use their feet properly, and then their hips properly, and then their shoulders properly, and their head properly. Once they learned that, then we put a bat inside. And now they could do it. Um, I think it worked out well. We only lost two games in two years. So that's pretty good. Um, But... It's one of those things that a lot of people think they know a lot, but when they miss the small things, they miss a lot, right? And so today in our series, that's what we're kind of talking about, is we're looking at one very small thing that once you understand something less small, you can start understanding bigger concepts in the Bible, okay? So if you have your Bibles... We're going to be looking at just two verses today, and it's Genesis 2, 21 through 22, okay? So that's where we're going to be at. Um, now, if this is, since a lot of you are coming back, we do a fall series that we call an apologetic series, and basically it's just learning how to defend the faith. That's what apologetics is, is learning to defend the faith. And so in these series, we tackle different things on how to share your faith in a way that is helpful, right? So just telling someone you're going to hell... Is probably not helpful, all right? But pointing them to Christ and allowing Him to do transformative work, that's helpful, okay? So we are called by Scripture to defend our faith. So when someone asks you a question, you should be able to give a reason for why you believe. And that's what apologetics is. And so we're doing this thing called TikTok theology. See, in the last decade or so, and it's really, really caught on within the last five years, that we have this thing where uh, social media, things like YouTube and TikTok and Facebook, they do these things called short-form videos, where it's a video that is thirty se- or one minute or less. And in that time, you get a rapid thing of some sort of information. How many of you like to watch funny cat or dog videos? Usually those are pretty sh- short, and then you just go to the next one, right? And then to the next one. And soon after, it's about an hour later 
right? That's the purpose of a short form video is to keep you there so that they can run advertisements. And so, but a lot of people will get their theology, they'll get their history through these short form videos. And so what we've been talking about is how do we as Christians get resources to be able to talk to someone who has a TikTok theological degree where their theology comes from a minute or less video. And so that's what we've been doing. And so in the first week, we talked about this. We talked about how God calls us to break down arguments as to give a, a defense for the reason why we believe in Jesus. Okay? And we did this through a video by this individual that they talked about hell. And so we went through and looked at hell within the scriptures. And so at the end of that, we just said, okay, this is why we do it. We don't do it to win arguments. We don't do it to belittle people. We don't do it to puff ourselves up. It's we do it for the glory of God. And we should do it with all grace and um, kindness as we can. Right. And I, I am of the opinion, if we start getting down that road where we start getting agitated and angry, we need to stop. Because that's not going to help anyone. It's not going to be, bring glory to God. It's not going to be, bring um, satisfaction to us in the end. And at the end, and we leave, we're just going to be kicking ourselves in the, in the butt. Because, man, I shouldn't have said that. Right? We want to get to a place where we're not at that, I should have said that. It's God spoke, and we're good. All right? So that's where we want to go. So in week two, we talked about history and how history is very important to the Christian faith, because unlike a lot of belief systems out there, Christianity is a historical belief. So Jesus either raised from the dead physically on a particular day, in a particular year, or he didn't. And if he didn't, then the belief system of Christianity is false. This is what 1 Corinthians 15 says. If Jesus did not raise bodily, then your faith is futile. But if he did raise, that means everything he said was right. That means that he is the only way. That means he is coming and returning. And that means that we as his followers need to be pointing people to him so that they may encounter the risen Lord. Like, if that's true, right? His history is very important to the Christian faith. And so we must also defend the history. And so we talked about that, and we talked about in the context of Constantine. And so we did all that last week. So if you want to catch up, you have to go watch the videos from last week, the last two weeks. But So this is what we talked about two weeks ago. Our faith is historical. We need to prepare to give an answer when that history is challenged. Okay, So that's where we are now. This week, we're going into a third one. We're only doing this for four weeks. So we're talking about a guy named Christopher. Christopher runs a YouTube channel called Magnify, and not in the sense, I don't believe in the Christian Magnify, but in the sense of magnifying things. Um, he has over 560,000 subscribers on YouTube, okay? In his analytics, you can go on and you can, anyone can look this up, um, he has about 300, uh, 360 million total views of his videos per day he gets about 1 to 3 million views. And if you look at the analytics, it's just almost a straight line up. Recently, he's just, a lot of people are watching him a lot. And so he does these short form videos. And so that's all I really know about Christopher. I don't even know his last name like we've known of the other ones. 
Um, and so we're going to listen to his minute, about a minute video, and then we're going to talk about it. All right? All right, let's do that. You've probably heard that Eve was formed from one of Adam's ribs, but the reason behind that translation choice might be misogyny. Wait. What? Yeah, in the Bible, there's actually a proper anatomic word for a rib bone. It's the Aramaic Allah, and we see it in places like Daniel, where a bear has three rib bones in his mouth. But in Genesis, when Eve is being formed, it says that God took a cella from Adam. And this word is never translated as rib anywhere else in the Bible. In all 40 other instances, it's either translated as half or side. Like in Exodus 37, the Ark of the Covenant has two separate sides, or the two sides on the split door that leads into Solomon's temple. But, you know, if you're interested in promoting a worldview in which women are subordinate to men, it doesn't really help you to have an origin story where Eve comes from an equal part of Adam. You kind of like the vibe of Eve coming from this tiny, insignificant rib. And so you've probably heard that okay. Eve was formed so from one they, of Adam. Short form videos just repeat themselves. So, okay. So this is, he gives us two claims in this. The first one being that the word rib is mistranslated. Now I'm of the opinion that I like to walk people through things. I don't like when someone gives me a, 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 a thought or a reason, I like to say, okay, let's stop and let's deal with that very thing. And in this case, because it's pointing to a scripture I go, okay, let's read that scripture, right? I never like to assume I know the scripture. Like I, I would rather be dumb and go and learn than to be like, oh yeah, I know that. And then be wrong. Does that make sense? So I always like to read the scripture. So if someone were to bring this up, I'd be like, let's read that scripture, right? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to read that scripture, right? So it's Genesis 2, 21 through 22. This is what it says. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. That's it. All right? So what we're talking about is that word rib. So let's talk about it. All right? So first off, that's the claim. The word rib is mistranslated. That's the first claim. There's two claims. The first one, rib is mistranslated. So when doing something like this, we go, well, let's look up the word rib, right? So a couple weeks ago, I gave you two resources, BibleGateway.com and BibleHub.com. BibleHub.com is what we're going to use, and it's the same one he used. Okay? It's the same resource. So we're using, remember last week I said I try to use the, what the person gives us. And so I looked it up, and the word, so he says Selah, um, I've heard it pronounced um, uh, say law, and I've heard it pronounced Tesla. Okay, it, because that's what it is. Yeah, but the the pronunciation is say law. Okay, so if I say Tesla, it, that's just a variation of the word, and I did it just as good as I did any other words that I've done. Okay, so. So yes, the word does mean rib or side. Like that's the definition that's given. Okay? Rib or side. It has 41 mentions in the Bible total. All right? Two are what we read. Genesis 22, 21, and 22. That's two. Um, another way it's used is side by side. And that's in the book of Job. And that literally means side by side. It's like me and Preston right here. We're side by side. 
That's what that, the context. Another few places, First uh, Kings um, and Exodus and in Ezekiel, it's talking about side rooms, usually about the temple. So in that case, it would be like, here's this room, and then the side rooms, the classrooms, those would be the Tesla. Tesla. See, I already did it. The Sela. All right. So that would be the Sela. So that's the connotation there. All right. The last one, which is found in Exodus, uh, Second Samuel, First um, Kings, is a structural one, and that's twenty-four times. It's structural, and what that is is like the sides of a box. In this case, the Ark of the Covenant, the sides, or the sides of like the uh, the door frame of a door, right? Or even a hill, and the what holds the hill there, the side of the hill. The, the, so that's the other use. So it's more of a structural um, idea than anything else. So those are the, the ways translated in the scriptures. Ribs, side by side, side rooms, and structural. All right? Are we good so far? Everyone's awake? Good, because it's a little warm in here. And last week, I let it be warm in here, and I got some yawns. Man, I'm going to bring up a squirt gun. No. Um, all right. So, so that's what we know of the word, Right? So, so far, Christopher is correct in the word usage, all right? So, let's talk about how English translations translate it. So, I just read from the English Standard Version. It's the one that we use in the church. It's one I feel like is a very good study Bible. And so, that's the one we use, all right? Um, I looked up on BibleGateway.com, I looked up 57 translations, English translations of this word in Genesis 2, all right? Out of 57, 49 of them all use the word rip. That's how they translated the word. They translated as rip, okay? Five of them made a note. So if you have a Bible and it gives you a word or it gives you like a little asterisk or a little number. And then down here, you see that? I don't know if you can see that. See that? Okay. You guys can see that? Man, I can barely see that. All right. Um, but that's called a footnote, right? And so in, in these other five translations, they made a footnote of this word. And they would say side. So they would say rib and then side. Or... Uh, they would put them together, and they would, in the context, they would say rib or side, okay? So you would have these, that's five of these translations. Two of them uh, used it, just the word side. They didn't use rib at all. Uh, that was the Jubilee Bible, and that was the New English translation. We'll talk about those a little bit. Um, then the last one, the New Life translation, uses this phrase, bone from side, it was unique in all the other translations. Now let's talk about just those two, those three, real fast. The Jubilee Bible is a English translation of a Spanish translation from the manuscripts of Greek and Hebrew. So it's kind of far away. So that's an interesting reason, and it's just so if you're a Spanish speaker to kind of help you bridge that gap into English. The new English translation. The other one that uses side, its purpose is for um, high academia. Okay, so if you're a, a scholar, or a theologian, what they would do is sometimes you'll get a Bible, and um, 
you'll open it up. This doesn't have it, but if you have a study Bible, you'll have the text up here and then some information, right? Like a commentary or something like that. In this particular um, translation, it does that, except this goes very deep for scholarly work. And so it just doesn't tell you what a word is. It might tell you, here are some other scholars who have been doing some work in this area to help you understand the scholarly work. It's to make it easier. So if you're writing a paper, oh, hey, you know, Dr. Johnson, he, he knows this. And so I'm going to go find him out and l- learn some from, from him type of stuff. Okay. So that's, that's an interesting thing. The last one, the New English Translation, it's very particular. So the history behind that is that there was this missionary group that was trying to reach some uh, Eskimos in the Canadian Arctic area. And so what they would do is they're trying to help them with Bible translation. And so you know how if you learn a second language, you don't know all the words of that language? Like, how many of you guys know what El Baño means? Okay, everyone knows what that means? I got some shaking your head. You need to learn that word. If you're ever going to go into a Spanish-speaking country, you need to learn that word. It is the bathroom. Okay, so you need to learn that word. All right? But how many of you know the name for butterfly? A few people. But, but what? Cucaracha. Yeah, I don't know if that's it. That might not be the right word. But the reason why you might not know that word is because you don't need it in conversation to understand or to get something from um, someone that's Spanish speaking, right? So you learn just enough words to help you communicate. So in this particular translation, what they did was they said, what words do we not need to help these second language people read the Bible in English? And so they cut out all of the words except for 850 words. And they were very specific on what. So now they're not using additional words. That's really important when we talk about language in a little bit. Okay. But so that's where we're at so far. All right. Just to kind of give us an understanding. So over 80% of all English translations use the word rib. Okay. So are we good so far? Okay. So let's talk about maybe the reasons why behind all this. Okay. So reason number one, I got to say, we're doing pretty good on the slides. That's not Carol's fault. That's my fault. But um, so reason number one, the context gives us reasons for using rib instead of side. Okay. So the context of the verse first, what's going on in the verse? God puts Adam to sleep. He takes something, right? Makes a woman out of it and brings her to the man, right? That's basically the context in the Hebrew. If you're just going by Hebrew, this is how it's structured, okay? Um, it's structured as, in its place, the flesh and closed up of his Selah, one. Okay? That's the, the, word, the wording. So, there's something in a place that needs to be closed up with flesh on the side. And it's one thing. Does that make sense? That's just what it's saying. So we're trying to figure out what's that one thing, right? The Selah, what's that one thing? Okay, well, we're not there yet. We're just trying to walk through this, right? We're trying to um, go through, because the reason why we do this is because if we don't, we can jump to conclusions, right? And we don't want to do that. 
We want the Word of God to say as much as it um, can, all right, without us getting in the way. So let's talk about that. So what is some of those? Can, I don't know if you can do this, Carol. Can you go back to all those reason, all those different things, like the structure and all that, just so we have it in our eyes? Remember how the word was used differently? Rib, side by side, um, side, um, side rooms and then structural. Let's walk through that in this context. Okay, let's leave rib out because that's what we're trying to figure out. Is it rib or not? Um, is it talking about side by side in this context? No, because side by side means another person, right? You need another person for side by side. The person's not there, right? So it's not, we can't figure it side by side. Okay, how about side rooms? No. Maybe God made you know took a side room from Adam. You know, yeah. we call that a spare tire now, but um, <laughs> that no, it's not a side room, right? It can't be a side room. Okay, well, structural it's that's very interesting because when we talk about the structuralness of humans, what are we talking about? Skeletons, right? That's our structure, and just like. A wall helps hold up the building. What, is there, what helps hold us up? Your skeleton. And what protects? Ribs. So that would make sense if we're talking about a structure of a human, right? That, okay, but that might be an arm, right? That could be. So there, we're, we're moving in a direction that's not just a side in general, but it does have to be one thing. Well, a rib would make sense in that case, right? Because in, I'm, not, I'm not a um, bone person. I am of bones, but I'm not like <laughs> an understanding of that. It, if I, how many bones in this appendage, right? That's what, uh, this apparatus are in here. You got one, right? Two. There's three in there? There's three in there? Oh, you guys just blew my mind. Really? I thought there was only two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three. Yeah, okay. One, two, three. I thought you guys were saying there's three just in the forearm. I'm like, I didn't learn that in anatomy. But then how many do you have it here? Oh, there's a lot. There's a lot in the hand, right? Yeah, let's not count. We're not getting this is This isn't a science class. Come on. This is an anatomy. Um, but what happens if you would take any one of these? You, you wouldn't be doing much, right? What did God tell Adam to do? To take care of the garden. Okay, so if he took one of these, he, he wouldn't be doing much, right? He would be um, handicapped in that, right? But if he took a rib, that there's not, I mean, how many don't have a rib? Well, yeah, the kids don't, of course. Um, but you can, I, it, you'd be slower, right? There'd be some difference, but it's not as if you lost a arm limb. Does that make sense? Like, so we're just trying to think through what would be structural on a human that he could still function in the role that God created him for? Does that make sense? Like we're trying to use the brain God gave us to understand God's Word, right? 
Okay, so that makes sense structurally. All right, so that makes sense that Tesla would be used, right? Because that would be a structural thing for the human. All right, let's go to reason number two. Let's move through this. Um, reason number two is this. He says that there probably there was an alternative word is what he said. In Daniel chapter 7, he says, there's a, a word for rib, and that's Allah. Okay? And, okay, so that's interesting. The problem is, is he rightfully so says it's a word in Aramaic. Now, we need to put this into concept. Remember last week how we said history was so important? This is one of the reasons why. Okay, so we got to put this in context. Genesis is being written around 4, 1450, roughly. Okay, so we, I like to use round numbers. So 1450, all right, that's where we're at. All right, so when do you think Aramaic becomes a language? Come on, just a guess. Anyone? No one wants to be wrong. It's w- around 1000 B.C. So Genesis being written in 1450, Aramaic being a language in 1000. Okay? There's 400 years about difference there. But Aramaic didn't actually become a language where it was used until around the 700s B.C. And so if we're going back, that's, that's about 700 years difference. Daniel, on the other hand, is written around five, 600 in that time frame. Okay, so it's about 600 roughly. Um, so let's say 550, right? Just to cut the difference. Okay, so it makes sense that in Daniel, he could use the word for rib that means the rib. Now, I don't know if you know this, but as languages go on, they become more developed or more complex. Okay, so in English, you um, the reasons why we use certain words or certain sounds is because over time we've incorporated other words from other languages. So like the TH, right? It's from the Nordic peoples. And from what I understand, I might be wrong, they came down and into France and that's where it starts melding with English. And that's now why we have to say th, right? So the, right? That th, it's because of that. All right, so a few years ago, I'll tell you how our language develops. A few years ago, we had a teenager and they were um, doing a spelling test up here for La Paz County Spelling Bee. All right. They were asked at an English spelling bee. How do you spell the word amigo? Now, let's stop right there. Now, you might be able to spell it. That is a non-English word. It is a Spanish word, right? Why is it then a part of an English spelling bee? One reason is because it's become so common that we use it. We use other languages' words as if they were English words, and that's just how we do things. We incorporate. That is the way we do things. You know, what is American cuisine? Chinese food. That's an American cuisine, right? You go to China, they're not, you go out into the, the, away from the city, they're not eating um, sweet and sour pork, right? 
we take things and we, we integrate them into our language, into our society. That's how what we do. And so if you're going back in time, 1450, what's the word you're going to use for rib? It's kind of like that new English translation. You don't have a bunch of the words, right? You don't have words that mean every. We are hyper-specific in our words. We try to be, right? Like, what's the best word for this situation? But if you don't have access to that word, what are you going to use? A word that means the same thing, but it also might mean a bunch of other things. This is what's interesting about the Hebrew language, about the Greek language even, that there is this, this spectrum of, of interpretations for words. That's why it takes time to interpret into English. Because sometimes there's not a word like that word in that language. And so we have to go, okay, what word can we do better? Right? What word is the closest to that that we can get? And then we go, okay, that's it. Does that make sense? That's how it works. Okay. So that's why there, there's probably not a word in Hebrew like Allah, which comes 700 years later. So that's the word that's used. Does that make sense? Okay, so that, that's how, because if you just say, well, it's an Aramaic word. Well, Ar- Aramaic wasn't around. You know, it's like, if you, I, I just want to do this one last thing. If you, how far back can you go speaking modern day English and understand an English speaker? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man, that's cool to George Washington. What? It's cold outside? No, that means it's it's hip. Your hips out? Right? Like the like the words we use don't necessarily translate even a hundred years. Talk about I think it's like what like um like six uh, what is it? I can't remember. It's old English. Like that's the first you could go and you still wouldn't understand that. It's like uh, like 400 years or something like that. Or something like that. Or 300 years. Like you could only go so far back. Even to English speakers, they'd look at you and go, what? Except they probably wouldn't use that word. Anyways. Um, so that's reason two. So reason one, the context is why we say it's a rib. Uh, reason two is because of language itself. When things were written. When things developed. Um, the last reason is this. That the early Greek-speaking Jews and the early church accepted the translation of the Septuagint. Okay, so here's the story. Around the 200s, you had, um, you guys know Alexander the Great. He dies. His empire is split between his generals. One of those generals is the uh, Ptolemaic dynasty. And they're, they're writing from like Egypt up into Israel. They're ruling that area. And so... Uh, Ptolemy II issues this decree or issues this uh, job to his librarian and says, I want things translated into Greek for my library. This is kind of that precursor to the, the Library of Alexandria that we talked about last week. And so what he does is he, the story goes that he contacts the high priests of Israel and says, we want you to gather your, um, your elders of your tribes and we want you to translate from Hebrew into Greek 
um, the, your scriptures. And so the story goes, they get uh, two from every tribe, um, or there's more than that. There ends up being 70 of the elders, uh, 72, I think, but they call it the Septuagint, meaning 70. And that becomes the standard of scripture for the early church. And so when you open your Bibles and you read a scripture like um, where it says a child will be born, like the Christmas ones we talk about, that's Septuagint translation. So the early church is using the Septuagint to quote from. And so the so why do we use rib there? Because the, one of the reasons is because Septuagint does. So here's all the reasons. Here are some reasons why context language. That's how it was translated by the ancient Jews. That's what was accepted by the early church. So if they said that's a good translation, what we should say, that's a good translation, right? So it's not just one of those reasons. It's all of those reasons, right? That's why we translate this way. So claim number one, it's mistranslated. What have we discovered? It's not, right? It's not mistranslated. That, it, it makes sense, right? Okay, so the other claim is this, right? Yeah, here's the other claim. It's translated rib because of a misogynistic desire to make women subordinate to men. All right, so I'm not going to give you much time to write that down, so you've got to be fast. Shorthand, shorthand, all right? Um, so, but this is the claim, and I think this is something that's going around, right, in our society. Um, there's this, there's this um, stigma that Christianity is misogynistic, okay? And so it's, he's saying that, that if you're going to make women subordinate, that's what you do. You, you translate words to subordinate women. So the question becomes, how do we as Christians, trans, why? Why do we translate this word? And it, is the purpose behind it misogynistic? Okay. Now, I started doing um, reading different people. I try to look through history. I try to look at different, um, across denominational lines and get different peoples. Um, so I have three quotes for you from different backgrounds and one from a Jewish perspective, okay? Now, I'll tell you straight at the front, you will find wor- verses like this being used in a misogynistic way. It's usually because of a cult, like a group that they're trying to control, not just women, but everyone. Okay, so I disagree with the cult. Okay, so that's not Christ- That's not the church, okay? the historical church. We want what does the historical church teach? Okay, so here, um, here are three. This is actually the, the quote from um, Christopher himself. So I want to read that just real quick. He says, But you know, if you're interested in promoting a worldview in which women are subordinate to men, it doesn't really help you to have an origin story where Eve comes from an, a, from a part, an equal part of Adam. You kind of like the vibe of Eve coming from this tiny, in, in, insignificant rib. All right? So here, I'm going to give you... Th- Three quotes from Christians. Um, this one is a something, if you had a question, it's called gotquestions.org. It's a, you type in a question, this um, particular website pops up. It says this, God used Adam's rib to form Eve. He used existing tissue and did not start from scratch to show that Adam and Eve were of the same substance. She was made from the same stuff and was a bearer of God's image and likeness, just as Adam was. 
the woman made of Adam's rib was designed to be a companion and help helper suitable for Adam. Eve, formed from a physical part of Adam, was truly his complement, an integral part of who he was. As such, he was a she was a perfect companion. Does that sound misogynistic? No. Yeah, she, she's a perfect companion. Yes. Um, here's a guy. His name's Dr. Jonathan Oates. He's writing on the on this as a as a scholar. He writes, either way, translation aside, I'm not sure that there is a vast difference in meaning between the two, but scholars and theologians have tended to believe that whether we translate it as ribs or not, the connotation of the passage is that Eve came from Adam's side. The idea is that Eve came from the side of Adam, emphasizing their equality before God. This is a beautiful metaphor, in my opinion. So here's one that's kind of just a general, here's a question, here's the general take of the of church. Here's one from a scholar. It says, I've done the scholarly work. Theologians basically all agree on this one topic. This one comes from an interview um, with a guy named uh, Friar Jason uh, Caron. I, I think I, I'm probably not spelling his, or saying his name right. Um, he's a, 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 a Catholic guy. And so... This is just, I just thought this is an interesting take. He says, The Hebrew word for the main support beams of Solomon's temple is Selah. The temple is where the Israelites worshiped God. It contained the life-giving divine services that preserved the chosen people's faith. The same word is used of the sides of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark holds within it, like a womb, the tablets of the law, manna, and Aaron's rod. Note that all of these are types pointing to Christ. But here's where it gets crazy. The word Selah is used in the book of Genesis of, for the rib of Adam. This means that the woman is made from Selah. Scripture compares woman to the temple of the ark, uh, the temple and of the ark of the covenant. Just think about what that says about the nobility of woman. They embody the sanctuary that gives life to the whole universe. And Mary contained within her the high priest, the bread of life, and the fulfillment of the law of Moses. So that's an interesting take on it. That just this this connection between the temple where God's presence was. And then where is the, the wholeness of the fullness of God dwelled in Jesus and is birthed through the woman? Just that interesting connection there. I'm not saying that's perfect theology. Just interesting. And so, but you can see across denominational lines, across um, theological um, lines, across just this idea of, Who's talking, you know, for the general audience, for specific scholars or for a specific group. The, basically, the consensus is that the purpose of the rib, it doesn't matter how you translate it, is that the purpose in the context is that God made two equal image bearers. A man and a woman who are equal in their ability to come before the Lord. That they both bear the image of their maker. And so that's the equality we're talking about. And so when we are told that, no, this is misogynistic, no. If we go by the, what the Word says, God created man and woman to be complements and image bearers. And so we might have different roles. And this is actually what 1 Corinthians talks about when Paul talks about the created order. We might have different roles. And the way I put this earlier was this. If a child hurts themselves, like say they skin their knee, where are they going? Are they going to mom or dad? Most of the time they'll go to mom. The reason why is because when they go to mom, where are they going to hear? Oh, I love you. 
Let me pick you up. Let me kiss you. Let me take care of you. Here's a cookie. Now go and play, right? They go to dad. Walk it off. Walk it off. You should have been looking where you were going. Rub some dirt in that thing. Get going, right? Yeah, you're not hurt. Stop crying. Yeah, yeah. That, that's why kids go to mom, mom over dad, right? So I, I gave this example. This is where I'm picking on Faye over here. So um, Ansel and Faye and I and some other people, we went up to um, Arizona Eagle Creek Retreat to uh, build some cabins. I'm working with this young man named uh, Caleb, right? I think that's his name. What is it? Caden. Caden. He's about 13 years old. And we have to take these... Um, zip ties apart so i take out my pocket knife because you just take the pocket knife in and spin it and it breaks okay so i do that and he goes i can do that he takes out his pocket knife right across his finger oh. right and you know what i told him go get that cleaned up get back out here <laughs> that kid i didn't think i saw that kid for the rest of the day the next time i saw him i sent him in Faye was in there and he had like a cookie and a hot chocolate with him <laughs> i'm like I finished the whole project and I'm just, I'm off to the next one. And where's this kid? Well, he's in there getting food, you know, and that's, that's it. We might play different roles, right? Because if you, if you were just, if you were the dad like that to your kids, that would actually swing them to just be uncompassionate, right? Men actually have to learn compassion through their wives, right? Where women... If you did the same thing and you only had that, that compassion, you might get a kid that is, um, what's it called? Uh, snotty, mama's boy, whatever the other things, a, a sissy, yeah. But you might get someone that they, every hurt is a tragedy. You, so, but with mom and dad, the man and the wife created to compliment each other. Now that child can go, there are times when I need to run and be with mom. And there are times when I need to suck it up. Yeah. I think when the man and woman were created to become husband and wife in one flesh, yeah. there is no segregation of, of power there whatsoever. Right. Right. And that's the equality, right? Equality isn't we all have the same role. Equality is we come together and we make it better. Right? And that's what the marriage is. And so that's why Adam says she is of my bone and of my flesh. Right? And this is why then it goes into and that's why a woman this whole thing leads us into the marriage statement of that's why a man should leave his family and become one flesh. Right? That's why Jesus uses that same scripture to talk about marriage. And so it's just this idea that that is what God said. That's his worldview. That's how he sets up creation. It's not a misogynistic thing of subordination and domination. It's I created man and woman to be in the image of, this is God speaking, the image of me to worship and praise me and to do the things I have called them to and the roles that I've created them to be in. And so men are certain ways, women are certain ways. This is generalities, right? And so, okay, so that is the Christian perspective. Here is um, a doctor, um, 
Uh, I don't have his name on here. Um, it comes from a Jewish Orthodox magazine. Um, that's the name of the magazine. And he says this, irrespective of whether women was, was created from a side or a rib, she was created from bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And in that manner differed from the rest of the creatures over whom Adam was to have dominion. The Midrash notes that unlike all other species in which male and female were created simultaneously from the same raw material, Adam was created from raw material and Eve from Adam in order to maximize their affinity for each other. The question of whether a rib or a side was used is a technicality. What emerges from the creation story is the equality of the two genders. Yeah, and a Christian can say amen to that. You know, because that's what it is. This idea, see, this is the problem. We can understand the purpose of the word Tesla, right? Or Selah, yeah. I thought I could get out of it one more time. We can, we can understand that, which leads us to a better understanding of the image bearers of God. That one little thing can lead us to a great understanding of this big concept of what it means to be an image bearer of God. Right? Or it can do that and we can pick and pick and pick and magnify the wrong things just so we can do a worldview exactly what he said uh, the Christians were doing, that's what he was doing. He was using this, his own worldview, to interpret this word and say it's misogyny. In reality, what we see in Scripture is this. Genesis 1 and 2. God creates man and woman. Image bearers equal in the presence of God but with different roles, different strengths. Genesis 3 happens. What happens? That relationship is now broken. Just like the relationship between the image bearers and God is broken, the image bearers, their relationship with each other is broken. And from then on out, we have the battle of the sexes. Right? We're always trying to get one up on each other. We're always trying to do, you know, get ahead or get our own or whatever yet what we see in god's work and his redemptive work is he's constantly trying to reestablish that so in the law women are now they are now able to be protected by the law whereas in a lot of ancient cases women were nothing they were property to be sold and used as they please but not in the law of god then you keep going, and what does Jesus do? He says, Mary, you can be a disciple. By her just sitting at his feet and learning, he, she shouldn't have done. Right? Only men did that. But no, because she could be, women can be in the presence of God just like men can. What we see at the end, a restored creation. The whole purpose of the scripture is to let us know this is how God created. This is how man messed up. This is what God's doing is get back to that point, And this is how it's going to look back at that point. And how is all that done? It's through the cross of Christ. Like that's why. So we were image bearers of God. We still are. But it's tainted because of our sin. We can't get us back to that point. So God himself comes down takes on the human flesh, lives the life that we're supposed to live, and then is killed 
sacrifice for us. And now, Galatians says, there is neither man nor woman in Christ. Not saying that our manhood or our womanhood is gone, but rather we're back to, we can enter into the presence of God, both men and women. So now, women, you don't need your husband to get you into heaven. All you need is Jesus. That's the same with men. Men, you don't need something else. You don't need a pastor. You don't need to be more manly or more this or more that, more successful or any of the things that the lies of the world tell us to to be men. It's, I need Jesus. And when we as men come to that realization that I am created in this relationship with God, and when I'm outside of that being my own God, that's when I'm losing but when i'm back in that relationship i am winning and it's the same thing with women when i get put myself back into that created um, order with god now i'm winning because now i am doing what an image bearer is supposed to do and so this is the teaching of scripture but we can't get to that. We will always have things like misogyny. We'll always have subjugation. It doesn't matter if you're a man or woman or if you're one of the 50,000 genders that are out there or if you're one of um, if you, whatever your skin color is or whatever your economic background is. All that's going to be the same until Christ is Lord of every individual. Like That's the only way to fix any of that. And so what is the job of the believer? Point to Christ. We live our lives pointing to Christ. Our words are pointing to Christ. Why? Because I can't fix it. Jesus is the only way. Like, that's it. I can't fix you. I can't even fix myself. Without the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, we can't do anything. And so that's where we're at. All right? I'm going to share with the challenge with you is this. Okay? I want to challenge you to seek the Lord this week and find a verse where you can go to and that has a word that you can explore. I want to challenge you to do this. I know for some of you, you're like, I'm not really uh, that type of person. This isn't just, hey, for the knowledge. This is, it can lead you into deeper teaching. So that's why I want to challenge you, is to go deeper in the, into the word. All right? Because of this. This is what Paul says in 2 Timothy. So in 2 Timothy, he says this. Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved. Okay, so what's the purpose? Presenting ourselves as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed so that we might not be ashamed. Okay, and how do we do that? Rightly handling the word of truth. That's the purpose. Is we want to rightly handle God's word. How do we do that? We study. We study. We take time. And... Um, this might take you 10 minutes. It might take you 30 minutes. It might take you an hour. I don't know. It might, you might start going down this and be like, man, this is really interesting. This is interesting. This is interesting. Or you might go, I did my homework. I'm good. I don't know. But I just found this to be very interesting. Um, because this is the first time I did a deep dive into this work. And I found that it was very interesting for myself. All right? I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you that uh, 
Not only did you make us to be image bearers, you made us to compliment our, our spouses. You made us to glorify you. And so, Father, I thank you for all of that. Father, I thank you not only did you do all that for us, that when we sinned, you did not leave us in that sin, but rather you sent the Son to come and, and be, be a replacement for us. Because we should have paid for our own sins, but Jesus did that. And when we accept that, we are back in the presence of, of you. So Jesus, I thank you for that. I thank you because you saved us. By your blood and by your, the breaking of your body, you went to that cross. And not only that, but you rose again. And by you rising again, we know that it's true. And Lord, because it's true, we can't wait to see you. In your fullness of your glory, that you will be truly the King of kings and Lord of lords of, over all things. That all this sin and all this rebellion would be finally put down. And that we can move into eternity in that, in that garden-esque relationship. So Lord, I thank you. And for my brothers and sisters as they're going out, if they encounter things like this, that they would be prepared. Or at the very least, prepared to have that conversation and prepared to know where to look and to be able to deep dive into your word. Moved by your Holy Spirit to speak the words necessary to point people to Christ so that in all things you can...